Wouldn't it be great if we could start every sermon with a clip from Charlie Brown? <laughs> Just a little note for JP. Did you know that in that clip, that one is the most historical Christmas story um, that has been played throughout history? And if you know anything about the Charlie Brown show, that Linus never goes anywhere without his blankie. Like, wherever he goes throughout the show, every single place he has a safety blankie. Except, this is the one episode that he drops his blanket. And it's the very moment that he says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And then he ends with, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace and goodwill to his favor rest on them. Who would have thought that it would be the peanut story that would proclaim the gospel? The birth of Jesus is allow us to let go of the insecurities and, and the falsehoods that we think that actually give us peace. And in the second advent, as we talk about peace, and we talk about the Prince of Peace, it should be a sign that whether it's your home or your job or your health or, or whatever it that we cling to, that all will be lost when Christ returns. And the, in light of the, the birth of Jesus, in light of him being the Prince of Peace, this morning we're going to talk about how to have peace in preparation of Christ's return. We're going to look at three quick observations. Uh, one is to be watchful for Christ's return. Two, to be prepared for Christ to return. And then third, to be at peace as Christ returns. And we'll see that the blessing of peace is very much entwined with the birth of Jesus, as he is both our Savior, our Lord, and our Messiah. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we are able to sit in this sanctuary and to hear your word. Lord, as we dig into some deep stuff and try to understand and comprehend and discern how to prepare for your return, Lord. We ask that you would go forth, that it would not be my words that they hear, but it would be your voice, and not my face that they see, but your face, that you would use me as an empty vessel, that you would fill me up and pour out your spirit so that your word would not fall on deaf ears, but that we may have itching ears to hear the word of God and to follow after your word as you order our steps. And we ask these things in your precious son's name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sorry, my notes are a little bit out of order. So, to be watchful. What does it mean to be watchful as we wait for Christ to return? If you haven't done so, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and then look at verse 1 with me. So, in Thessalonians, Paul is responding to yet another question that the Thessalonians has for him. They were asking Paul about the times and the dates of when Christ was, was going to return. Now, they're not the only one that has been asking this question. This is an age-old question where people want to know, like, hey, when should I be prepared for that great day, for that judgment day? They, they were fascinated by the second coming. However, Paul says he redirects their concern regarding the time and the date and to the preparedness of his return. 
So if we don't know when and we don't have the time, what we do know is that we should be prepared for him to return to us. And in fact, the question comes up very frequently throughout the Old Testament. We read in Daniel 12.6 that the prophet asks, how long will it be before the astonishing things are fulfilled? Even Peter declares that this very question concerned the ancient prophets. For we as Christians should yearn for Christ to return. But this is a hard sermon to preach because when we think about Christ's returns, we think about judgment. We think about death. We think about have, are we, are we saved? We, we think we saved. We, you know, we confess with our heart. We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and raised from the dead. But there's still that anxiety of, man, Christ is going to return. The first advent we, we celebrate because we love the baby Jesus. The baby Jesus is great. We, we come and we have the Christmas pageants and we come and we give gifts to everyone, but it's the second advent, it's the second coming that we should yearn for more because it's when that comes that we shall be in the presence of the Most High God. Now, since we should yearn for Christ to return, Paul responds to their questions by reminding them that although we don't know the day or the time, that not even Jesus himself knows it. It says in Matthew 24, 36, but about that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. You see, the, the Thessalonians, they, they wanted to be ready. I mean, it's similar to us. If we're having guests come over, we want to have the table set. If we have families coming out of town, we want to have the guest room nice and neat. So it's, they're not asking necessarily out of curiosity, but they're asking from a sincere place of saying, hey, we, when will Christ return? Paul, even in himself, said it was better for a man not to be married because he felt that Christ's return was so intimate that we should be proclaiming the word of God and inviting people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, we don't know. So we must be watchful. So if we're to be watchful for Christ's return, how can we be prepared for that return? Well, look at verse 2. Paul gives us two metaphors about the second coming. The first is a thief, that Christ will come like a thief at night. Now, I'm not sure about you, but when I think of a thief coming into my apartment, it doesn't conjure up good images. Like, I would prefer if the thief would text or call me before he gets there so I could greet him and be locked and loaded. I mean, I like to be hospitable when people come over. So my preference would be that I would know when that would be happening. Now, this metaphor isn't new. Jesus says, and he had used this analogy elsewhere in Scripture, in fact, Paul uses the same illustration to describe the unexpectedness that categorizes Christ's return. When he comes, it will be unexpected. A thief not only comes when we least expect it, but when the owner of the house is asleep, when we're not paying attention. It says then, then he comes suddenly and he comes quickly. And all the burglars that I talk to, they have it down to a science. And it should concern you more that I talk to burglars, but that's besides the point. 
But whether it's a pickpocketer or home invasion, they're in and out between 60 seconds and two minutes. They get in, they get what they need. They come suddenly and they go quickly. So from this metaphor, we can observe that Paul is looking at the second coming from the perspective of the lost. Those that will be surprised by Christ's return because they will not be watchful and they will not be prepared. The same way that those who do not know Jesus, what a blessing and how important it is for us to know the Prince of Peace. Hence, the baby Jesus coming in the first advent. Likewise, a woman goes into labor at a time that is not predicted. In the ancient world, the risk of death to a pregnant woman was very high. So it was both an exciting time that birth would be had, but it was also a terrifying time not knowing whether or not the baby and the mom would survive. I remember when my sister had her first miscarriage and uh, her first uh, daughter was, a, was stillborn and how devastating and how painful that was. And now we fast forward 15 years now and I have two beautiful uh, baby nieces, um, Ajane and Amani. And so the day of Christ's coming is both of great joy for those who are in Christ, but yet very dreadful for those who are not or for those who are lost. Which one is it for you? Is it dreadful or is it a great joy? Now, both metaphors illustrate Christ's coming as suddenly. The day of the Lord will come like a thief suddenly in the middle of the night. Now, just a quick caveat, do not take the middle of the night as literal. So that means that Christ could come in the daytime as well. So I don't want you to think that, all right, I'm great because until five or six o'clock when it gets nighttime, Christ will only come. So fair warning, he can come in the morning as well. And then in the pregnancy of the unexpected mother, suddenly labor begins and destruction will come like labor pains. So at the same time, these metaphors are the same, but if you look at the scripture closely, you will see how they are different. From the thief and the burglar perspective, they come unexpected, whereas the labor is expected. You know when you're pregnant that labor will come and you will have labor pains. Labor is sudden and it's unavoidable. In the first case, there will be no warning. And in the second case, there will be no escape. So when we put the two metaphors together, we see that the second coming of Christ will come unexpectedly, it will come unavoidably, and there will be no escape. So those who are not ready when Christ return, there will be no refuge, there will be nowhere to hide. So I beseech you, brothers and sisters, is to prepare your home, prepare your heart, and prepare your soul for the coming of the Lord. Remember that Jesus taught his disciples that it was impossible to know the day that it would occur, but that it was necessary to be ready at all times. Like I said, this is a hard sermon to preach. We're talking about Christ's return. We're talking about death. We're talking about judgment. But for those who are in Christ, we should yearn to be in the presence of the Almighty. 
Now, there are two extremes to this. The first one is the arrogant of the people who think that they can predict with their special knowledge of when Christ will return, even if they try to do it with biblical claims. You see it all the time, whether it's in a magazine or on cable news, and it says call 1-800-777-777, and if you give us $1,000, we will tell you the date and the time that Christ will return. So if you buy into that, when you hang up, call me, and I have a bridge to sell you. Now, I remember when it was 1999, and people predicted that in the year 2000, Christ was going to return. Now, I was totally freaking out, thinking that I got to be nice to my sister this day, I got to pick up my toys, I got to make my bed, put on my suit, Christ is going to be here in 2000. 2000 come, came, 2000 went. And then others predicted it would be 2010. 2000 came, 2000 went. And so now, as, as technology and everything has progressed, we are now in 2018, and yet I'm complaining that we don't even have flying cars yet, let alone Christ coming back. So if they can't make that happen, I guarantee you they don't know when the Lord will come. For not even Jesus himself, but only the Father. The other extreme is to not to be aware, is to be blindsided, is to be complacent, thinking, well, if Christ hasn't come back by now, maybe he isn't coming. That would be false doctrine. So don't forget, Christ is coming. We don't know when, but we must be watchful and we must be prepared. Now, a quick side note, there are signs in the Bible that of the, of the end times, and Pastor JP is going to preach about that in another sermon. Because even Paul argued that there are signs, and we read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The thing is, it's just impossible to look at those signs and to say that it's going to be at this year or that year when it comes. So we want to make sure when we read scripture, we are um, rightly discerning the word of, word of God. Now look at verse 3. While people are saying peace and safety... They imagine that they are entirely secure. But it says, but destruction will come on them suddenly. With these words, Paul tries to refocus the discourse of the last days for unbelievers. Like it is a, it's great if you are in Christ. It's not so much if you're not in Christ. So for those who are in Christ, the best gift that you can give someone this Christmas season is an invitation to have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior. Now, peace and security also goes back to the price that some of them paid to Augustus back then. For he wanted them to worship him as son of God, as Lord and as Savior. So this was a peace that those living in Thessalonians would be somewhat proud to give if it means protection of their home, protection of their family, protection of their life. And sometimes it was at the cost to sacrifice the one that was not the true and living God. And so as he was the emperor of Rome and had total control, some would give Caesar or Augustus small fortune to have that peace and security. Similarly, 
to what we have in our day. Linus knew that, yeah, it's okay to have security and to have peace, but he realized that true peace came from the Lord. Hence, the reason why he proclaimed the gospel, he dropped his blankie. Now, what about you? Where does your peace come from? Is it your health? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your home? Is it your 401k thinking I'm going to be secure in retirement? Probably not with the stock market, but that's for another sermon. But you have to answer that question for yourself. What do you hold so tightly to that you think it really gives you peace? Is it your marriage? Since we can't predict when Christ will return, we must be sure that we are watchful and prepared. And it begs us to go inward in our heart to see that we have examined ourselves for where our true peace and security comes from. Three notes on how you can prepare for Christ's return. The first one starts, if you can guess, with Jesus, with the gospel. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you shall be saved. For we are all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So first is accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nothing before him and nothing after him. Another way to prepare is to forgive your neighbor as Christ has forgiven you. For Matthew 6 says, For if you forgive men for their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men for their sins, neither will your Father forgive yours. So accepting Christ, forgiving others, and if you can guess, the last one is the Great Commission. Inviting people to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Be about your father's business, whether you're in the church or outside the church. How many of you on your job had invited someone to come to church or to have a meal with you where you can share your personal story about how you came to know Christ? Matthew 28 says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. My friend, that's good news. And if you believe that and you're walking after that, then you can be watchful, you can be prepared, and you can have peace and security to know that when Christ comes, you will be with him in glory. Now, since Jesus taught the disciples that it was impossible to know when the day of his return but that it was necessary for us always to be ready. So to be watchful, to be prepared, now let's look at how to have peace. In Luke 2.14, God's glory should give us peace. When, when we think about the birth of Jesus, it is a glorious time that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we would be saved, that we may find eternal life. So the coming of baby Jesus will be and is the greatest revelation of the glory of God. It is among the highest in the heavens. So that's why we say glory to God. 
the highest in the heavens because he sent his only begotten son. The coming of baby Jesus will also bring God's people peace. First, God is glorified because baby Jesus is the Prince of Peace when he is born. And then second, that peace that comes from baby Jesus is spread everywhere to whom he receives. These are the great purposes for the coming of Jesus, that God's glory would ascend from man to God, that God's peace would descend from God to man, and that we, his people, that we would sing his praises. There is no better way to sum up what God has done for us by sending Christ to die for us than to reclaim our souls for his glory. I'm going to say that again. When Christ sent his only begotten son, that is the peace that comes only from the Lord. We can't get it anywhere else. It is, it's, it's right in front of us, except we, we try different things to understand how can we have security? How can we, how can we have assurance that we're going to be saved? It's all accepting Christ as our savior. His glory is our peace, his greatness is our joy, and his beauty is our pleasure. The point is this, although God's offer of peace goes out to all, only his chosen people, the people who receive Christ, trust in him as Savior, as Lord and Messiah, will experience the peace that he will bring. This is biblical. We read this in um, Luke 10, Jesus says, Wherever, whatever house you go to, first say to this house, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon it. But if not, it will return to you. The best way and only way to prepare for Christ's return is to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Is to understand that there's nothing that this world can give us that will truly satisfy us, that it only comes from an intentional, personal relationship with Christ. By being in community, by being in small group, by loving your neighbor, by forgiving those who have sinned against you, it is practicing Christianity, practicing your spirituality, not simply coming to church on Easter and Christmas and, and, and saying, yay, that Christ was rose from the grave, and yay, it's Christmas, the baby Jesus is born. It's an internal thing that should make us transform the way we live our lives. That's how we know when Christ comes and Christ return that we have that peace, that we have that joy, that it's not a scary time, but it's a glorious time to know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Prince of Peace and Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Nieces and, and the Alpha Omega, the beginning and the end, that he has come so that you would be with him in glory. How many of you want to be with God in glory? Let Christ be the ruler of your life. I don't know what that looks like. Only you know what that looks like. Only you know what you can grab hold to, what you hold so tightly to. Think about this in closing. When we hold so tightly to things, sometimes it's hard to not only let go, but to know when Christ is trying to allow us to leave things at his feet so we can have that peace that can only come from him. 
I can think of times in, in my life where I've held so tightly to things because I thought that it gave me hope or that it gave me joy or it gave me peace and that if it was taken away, I would be miserable, I would be sad, I would be in despair. And sometimes when God takes things away, instead of asking God, why did you do that? Or what is it that you want me to have for my life? We run to the next thing and we replace it with something. And before we know it, we're in this vicious cycle of going around and around and trying to be satisfied. My friends, there's nothing in this world that will satisfy you. It doesn't matter whether you can buy it, whether you can inherit it, whether you can make it, whether you can create it. At the end of the day, it will burn up. But the only thing that will last forever, and it is Jesus Christ. Hold tightly to the Lord. Just as in the closing scene of Charlie Brown, like I am fascinated how, how throughout all of the shows he held that blanket, that, that the gospel was portrayed in a cartoon. It was so simple that when he declared the glory of God, when he declared that we should fear nothing, when he declared that when Christ comes, this is the true meaning of Christmas, that Christ loves you and he came to die on the cross for your sins. And that literally is the best gift that we can, we can ever give someone. Think about the people that you see day in and day out who do not know Christ. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they are, are people that are associates, that you see them maybe once or twice a year. And sometimes you may dread being in their presence. Sometimes we do that with our families at Christmas and Thanksgiving, dreading being in their, their presence. But perhaps maybe we dread being in their presence because they don't have the Holy Spirit or they have not been introduced to have the Jesus that you have. So what do we do? Do we share that Jesus? Yeah, they may rebuke it. They may say that's hogwash, but you've done your part. Remember when you were yet saved and somehow you heard the gospel, you believed, you accepted Christ and your life was changed. And if you are a believer in Christ and you say, my life hasn't changed, and I'm sorry to tell you that you have not had the true and living God. Because when I accepted Christ at 12, I knew that God was real. And now as I turn 35 in two weeks, I know even more that Christ is real. And so there's nothing that anyone can ever give me that will satisfy my longing soul for the Lord. For I will preach and I will proclaim the word of God until I see him. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Whatever you're doing in your life, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're a trash man, whether you're a teacher, you should do everything with the peace of God in mind, knowing that Christ has called you to a higher calling and that you should invite people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you have accepted him as your Lord and you are watching for his return, you are constantly preparing your heart for his return. The last thing is, is to invite others to, to experience that, that desire to know the Lord. I guarantee you there is a lot of people that do not know Jesus. And I guarantee you there are people in your life that do not have that peace. They may have a fancy car, they may have a fancy house, but yet they may go in and they may be dead inside. They may be crying inside. They may be struggling inside. But what would happen if all of us, just today, just for a moment, would go out and, and tell someone about the joy of the Lord, 
tell someone about the peace that surpasses all understanding, that to tell someone that there is a God that loves them, tell someone that that God that loves them for so much is so powerful that there's nothing too big that he can't, he can't control and there's nothing too small that he can't get you over, that that peace would be in their heart because that peace is truly in your heart. So when that day comes and when Christ returns, we won't be like those who get destroyed. We won't be like those who think they have security or think that they have peace. But we will know when Christ returns that we will be with him forevermore. That we would say, for unto this day a child is born in the city of David at this moment. He is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is Emmanuel. He is your Lord and Savior. That is the peace that we hold on to. Hold on until today, hold on until tomorrow, and hold on it until the Lord comes back and you're in his presence. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you because you are a marvelous God that loves us so much. And sometimes we can't even comprehend how much you love us. So we ask, Lord, that you would be with everyone in the sanctuary today. Give them the strength and the power and the knowledge and the courage to invite someone into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. For if there's anyone in here today who are struggling, and perhaps maybe they don't know themselves whether or not they have a relationship with you, allow them to reach out to any of the ministers or any of the pastors, Lord, for us to share with them the, the confession of faith, Lord. For we want everyone to know your glory. We want everyone to have your peace. And we want everyone to be ready for your return. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name do I pray. Amen.